Well, I would like to begin tonight with what I think is a very uncomfortable question, probably not supposed to begin sermons that way, but a very uncomfortable question for people of faith, one that I think we hate to admit when we're honest about ourselves, honest to ourselves about the answer. Have you ever felt forgotten by God? Now be honest, raise your hand if you've ever felt forgotten by God. I think you have, but I think you might be afraid to admit it, maybe even to yourself. Why? Well, we live under the subtle pressure of the victorious Christian life. We live under the subtle pressure of the abundant Christian life. We live under the subtle and sometimes not so subtle pressure of plastic faith. In other words, it's easy for us to think that people, other Christians, might think less of us if we're not always into the hype, if we're not always thinking like everything is going great. We think that if I let my guard down and I let people know how I really feel, they might not think that I'm a man of God or a woman of God. They might not think that I even have real faith. But life has a reality, and it's a reality that was brought out many years ago in a movie by a great theologian by the name of Mama, quoted by Forrest Gump, quoting his mother. She said, my mom, Forrest said, my mom always said that life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And that's true. Life can turn on a dime. Life cannot go the way we planned it. Last year, for our church, we had some very, very dear friends go home to be with the Lord. That was a shock to us. And then we had another one go, you know, people who were prominent in the congregation, another one go home at the beginning of the year. And, and we thought, wow, it, that stuff's nice to have this stuff behind us, and let's, let's hope that the rest of the year is greater. And then all of a sudden, the, the coronavirus hits. And so it is true. You never know what you're, what you're going to get. And I can tell you this. As a pastor who talks with a lot of different people, feeling forgotten or abandoned by God is quite common. There, I said it. Do you feel better now? I actually said it, and I actually mean it. However, for a variety of reasons, as we just said, few people will admit it. I think a lot of times, like in a, in a community group or in a group of people, maybe they're kind of at a you know, dinner or a barbecue or a party or just talking with each other after church or something like that. I think there are people are a lot of times afraid to admit how they're doing because they're afraid of making other people feel awkward. Often when things are not going well, it's easy for us to feel faithless, easy for us to feel guilty. And then sometimes you feel like others are distancing themselves. They might not be, but you're so hyper aware of it. You're like, is everybody looking at me funny? Or is everybody looking at me weird? Or, or they're, are they judging me? And then you begin to think, if your mind, you let your mind really race with this, maybe the Lord feels that way about me too. Maybe I make him uncomfortable. Maybe he doesn't want to be around me. Perhaps you are 
like Jonah. People like Jonah, you, me, uh, we, we've had times in our life when we've run from God. And we realize that this is a bad, lonely place. When you run from God, you're like, what am I doing here? Like God said to Elijah when he was in the cave, he's like, what are you doing here? And so maybe we feel like God's thinking, well, you ran away. What do you want me to do about it? I pray tonight that something we say around here fairly often, that the Lord shows us once again that it's okay not to be okay, and that despair needs love and acceptance, not awkwardness and not avoidance. The title of our message is When You Feel Forgotten by God, and just hearing that, I really believe a lot of you want to say, I sometimes feel that way. In fact, maybe some of you are saying that I feel that way right now. When you feel that way, I know this is hard when it's, you know, you're just sort of in that cycle of of not feeling great. But remember, you're not alone. There are lots of other followers of Jesus who feel that way. And, And so the Bible writers, we even will see tonight and the other places in the Bible, they have felt that way and possibly, dare I even say, that Jesus has felt that way. The heading says this on the psalm, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. To the musician, what does this mean? It means they sang this in church. They actually sang this in the temple. Did you imagine that? Like, is that the kind of music we really want to sing? Like, I feel forgotten by God. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't seem to work. And and now you're thinking, but it says a psalm of David. David? King David? The man after God's own heart? Really? He admits that he feels forgotten by God? He sure does. He sure does. Now, you may be wondering this when you read this. We read it a little bit aloud. And, you know, first one, you know, how long, how long, oh, Lord, will you, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? You may be wondering, how in the world did God let this slip into the Bible? Like, was he, was he about other kinds of stuff? And he, and he just totally was not watching? Like, hey, get the angels. Who's in charge of watching what goes into the Bible? Man, how did that, how did that slip into the Bible? Because it sounds certainly a lot more tearful than triumphant, doesn't it? It sounds like he's just really not at the, not doing very well. Why didn't David cover it up like we tend to? Because David was honest with God. And David wants to be honest with us too. And God wants us to know that this is a feeling that we're going to have at times. Why did the Holy Spirit not cover this up? The the scripture tells us that the scripture was written by men of God as God was moving them to write. He didn't compromise their personalities, but, but they were moved to write the word of God. Why would God allow, why would the Holy Spirit allow 
somebody to complain that they feel abandoned by God? I think I know the answer to this. So you and I would not abandon God when we feel like he has abandoned us. So we would have somewhere to go. The Lord wants us to know that if Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There may be a point in your life when you say the exact same thing, when you feel the exact same way, If you're taking notes, we're going to follow a prayer that David is moving through. And and it's sort of in three different sets, three different, you know, areas here. Basically two verses each. And the first is, again, if you're taking notes, the emotion of prayer. The emotion of prayer. Listen to the emotion of David's prayer, verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? The Holman Christian Standard Bible says this and quotes verse 2 this way, or translates verse 2 this way. How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. How long will my enemies dominate me. David's cry is very, very simple. How long will you forget me, Lord? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I have this tremendous sorrow in my heart? And how long is this enemy, we don't know who it is, going to win over me? That's that's really Four how longs describing the troubles that are in David's heart, and he's trying to process the whole thing with God. What's going on with God? Where are you? You know, I have what's going on with himself, this tremendous sorrow I have in my heart. And he's trying to process it as far as people goes. What's the deal, God, with my enemy? Well, does David, think, how, does David think this will go on? Well, like he said, forever? I don't know, but it certainly can feel that way, can it? It certainly can feel like trouble is going to last forever. Or heartache is going to last forever. You know, we talk in the Bible... Like, you know, to God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Well, there used to be an old commercial, as minutes seem like hours when you're waiting for someone. But sometimes a day can seem like a thousand years that you're waiting for God to answer you. If you don't believe me, I would say, ask our old friend Job. Job from chapters 3 to 38 just is just... Talking, this is like out loud, just talking and talking to God about his troubles. Or just keep reading the Psalms. There's so many Psalms that talk about troubles. Now, you might ask, and I might ask, what sin did David commit here? Because David, you know, he, he was known to do some very foolish things, things that displease the Lord, the scripture tells us. Uh, but we're not, there's none mentioned. 
it just seems here, and this is one of the things why I really wanted to end the, the, the series on the Psalms that we've been doing this summer on this Psalm, it seems like David is just caught in the crossfire. I mean, the, the, if you know the scriptures, if you don't, that's fine, but it, it, it could be Saul, it could be the, the, the king that was before him that tried to kill him and throwing spears at him and hunting him down. It could be his son Absalom, who's traitor. It could be some illness or sickness. We don't really know, but it just seems like he might be caught in the crossfire of life, which I know a lot of us feel like right now. We, we use the expression around here because we live in a very mountainous area in New Jersey in the Northwest, and we call it like deer in a headlight. That, that's the way it's easy to feel that way. Now, you might think this. You might think, whoa, 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 wait, Pastor Jim, wait, 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 wait. I thought if I do everything right, that God will bless me in every way. <laughs> I think you need to rethink that. I think, I think you're a bit off. Because Jesus did everything right. And they crucified him on a cross. You see, if you think that if you do everything right and things go wrong, if that's your thinking, it will be so easy to second-guess yourself. You'll be second-guessing yourself about everything. You will start doubting your salvation, that God has, you put your trust in Jesus, you'll say, well, maybe I really didn't, or maybe he didn't really forgive my sins. Maybe I'm really not a child of God. You're going to start to doubt the promises of God that sometimes take a while to be realized. In fact, we'll be doing a, a series on Sunday about uh, starting about the life of Abraham, venturing into the unknown, where there was just like, how long do you have to wait for these promises, God? Not to mention, if God actually did forget you, or God didn't, could, couldn't actually see you, how could he help you with your problems? Did you ever meet someone like, well, you didn't help me with my problem, and you're like, I didn't know you had a problem. Well, if God was like that, then he couldn't help you. How could he know? It's important to see that David's questions, although on the surface they seem to be very simple, he's not, I don't think he's really looking for simple answers. Because these kinds of questions to God, which notice how comfortable he is with us asking them. It's absolutely amazing. I know a lot of people will say, well, he's questioning God, that's sinful, that's wrong. And even if that was right, God still lets it in the Bible because he knows that's what we do. But rather than just looking for simple answers, I think a lot of what's here is David has some questions about God himself. When you feel God has forgotten you, when you feel God has hidden his face from you. He doesn't, he doesn't see you. He's hiding from you. God's hiddenness creates and can create an incredibly emotional response. And I think that David here is not seeking some grand theological answer as much as he's seeking God's presence, and that will open the door to some of the answers that he's looking for. And And you get this really strange sense from David that he wants to know what's going on. He wants to understand this, but at the same time, he knows this is completely shaking his faith. 
So he's sort of dealing in two worlds, which we're going to talk about in a minute. We often talk about a personal relationship with God. To David, this is personal. This is very personal. And it hurts. And it hurts a lot. In, in verse 2, God's perceived inactivity makes David's head spin and his mind race. And his response to that is he pours his heart out to the Lord. Now, when he says over and over again, how long, how long, how long, how long, that sort of gives us the clue. This has been going on for a long time. And when you're trying to follow Jesus, when you're trying to follow God, when you're trying to walk in the spirit of God according to the word of God, and you're getting no relief from something for a very, very long time, that can become very, very discouraging. Perhaps you have an illness and it just won't quit. Perhaps you are looking for a job and it's just not happening for you. Perhaps a family or a friend issue that you have, it's just not resolving itself. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Put, fill in the blank, friend, and what is it that maybe you're just like, when is this going, to, when are you going to answer this prayer, God? Maybe it's your kids, it could be any multitude of things. But be careful of decisions you make when you feel this way. Because he talks about the counsel of his heart. You know, when you and I are discouraged, when you and I are incredibly lonely, by the way, the fact that when you feel lonely, do you know that shows that you were created in the image of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they lived in perfect intimacy? And so loneliness really hits us really hard because we are created in the image of God. But when you feel that way, when you're just, man, this is, I just, this is the pressure or the, or the sadness or the depression or the discouragement, be very, very aware and wary of your own counsel to your heart. And be very, very wary of the other guy I don't like to even say his name, when he sends bad counsel your way. Be very, very careful of that. Let's be honest. These types of things and more can be very, very emotionally and spiritually draining. They can be physically exhausting and they can be dep depressing. I, I know that that. When, when things are very emotional and things are very depressing and things are very sad, you're spent, aren't you? And you're like, I didn't do anything today. Why am I so tired? Because it takes, it really, literally sucks the life out of you. It, it just, it seems to take your breath away. Now, now, some of us are more prone to this than others and we have to be very, very careful of our own pity parties. But on the other side, we have to be, if you're not like that, you have to make sure that you're not uncaring. And so it's very important to analyze these types of things. I find a lot of people don't really give much thought to their life. They have to get in the car and turn on the radio or turn on the, the, you know, their phone and hear music or something like that. 
What about just some quietness before God? Why, why do you have to just, why can't you just sit and be quiet and just process and just, just think? It's, it's important for, you know, all of us to know that, again, that God's timing is very different than ours. And he seems very slow. And even the Bible writers agree. Where are you, God? Well, that takes us from the emotion. And the next thing that we're going to say might seem really weird to you. It's the logic of prayer. Look at verse 3. Consider and hear me. Another version says, answer me, O Lord my God. Let's stop right there. I called this section the logic of prayer. And let me be honest with you for a second. If you are not a follower of Jesus, first off, I am so thrilled that you're watching or you're exploring faith. You, you want to know more about this whole Bible thing, Christian thing. And maybe you're sitting here going like, is this guy reading my mail, man? I mean, so much of this stuff seems to be, I'm resonating with so much of this stuff. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, what I have stated to you is 100% illogical. So I went from an overly emotional guy who's like having a panic attack to all of a sudden I'm telling you actually what he's doing now is very logical. He's moved from being very emotional to being very logical. Basically in verse 1 and 2, David is praying, where are you? And it seems like when he keeps saying how long, how long, how long, he would say to you, probably, and to you and to me, would probably say, you know, dude, the more I prayed, the further God got from me. The more I prayed, it seemed like the more like he disappeared. Now, here's the thing for us, and this is why I'm saying there's an there's a inherent logic in this. When things are not working for us, what do we do? We stop and we do something else. But David doesn't do that. This is why it's, it's logical, but it's illogical to some of us. David prays to the God he says has forgotten and hidden his face from him. So at face value, we should, if we're reading this carefully, we should be like, what is this guy, nuts? To some, yes. People would read this and go, the Bible is so inconsistent. It makes no sense. If God's far from him, why is in the world is he why in the world is he talking to him? Why is he saying, hear me? Why is he saying, oh Lord, my God? Why is he doing that? This doesn't make sense. But to others of us, we read this and we say, Man, this brother has faith. This dude will not give up. He will not give up. He is still going after it, God, going after God and going after God. In verse 1 and 2, he's, it's almost like if, if you, from around here, we're from New York, so the way we talk around here, you go over, to, go over to Brooklyn or something like that, it's almost like, hey, hey, you, God, why are you forgetting me? That's what he says in verse 1 and 2. And then in verse 3, three the beginning of verse 3, he basically says, hey, I'm talking to you, God. I'm talking to you. Hear me. Answer me. You see, Here's the thing, I can, I can try, or I might even be able to, explain this to you with words, 
But really, this is something that has to be deep in your soul to understand this. You really have to know God. This brother knew God. You really have to know God to understand this. You see, if you get this, it's a very good sign to you that you are truly a follower of Jesus. You say, how could that be? Because you're praying and everything falls to pieces. But one way you can know that you've really turned to God and put your trust in Jesus Christ One way you can know that you are what the scripture calls a new creation in Christ is no matter what happens, you still keep coming to God. Did you hear that? One of the ways you can know you are truly a follower of Jesus is no matter what happens, you keep coming to God. People are saying, I cannot believe there's a God with all this heartache and sorrow and pain and suffering in the world. And you say, yeah, that is challenging. But I keep talking to him. Why? Because where else am I going to go? What else am I going to do? Things are going wrong. Nothing's going right. And week after week after week, you keep coming back to the house of the Lord. You just just want a fresh word from God. You still love the people of God. You still want to worship the God you think has forgotten you. You still want to worship and hear from the God that you think has turned his face from you. It goes something like this. If in the pit of despair, if the Lord is still your default, if you can't stay away from him, it is very safe to say that you are a man or a woman of faith. If you keep calling on him, if you can't bring yourself to leave him, you, loved ones, belong to him. If you're still crying out to him in the day of despair after waiting a long, long time, that is an evidence of his grace in your life. And as you pray, As you focus on the Lord, be confident, even though it might not seem like it, you are on the path from despair to the divine. So let's watch David move into God's presence. Let's, verse three again, consider and hear me. Answer me again. Some versions say, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes. Some versions say, give light to my eyes, lest, we might say otherwise, I sleep the sleep of death, 
lest or otherwise my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Another version says that I've, the enemy says I've triumphed over David. Lest, otherwise, those who trouble me, some versions say my foes, rejoice when I am moved. Rejoice when I am shaken. Rejoice when I fail. Here David gets very practical. Hear my cry, Lord, and deliver me from the anguish of my soul. He says, give light to my eyes. You say, what in the world does that mean? We might say, give my soul new energy. We might say, refresh me, God. We might say, give me a vision of you, something, a little thing that I can hold on to. We might say, Lord, put some joy in my face and my worship instead of me having a long face and joyless worship. There are sad times. I'm never going to lie to you about that. Never, never, never. Yet I have found that even when I find, whether it's reading the scriptures, praying, going for a walk, noticing something, being around friends, I've noticed that even when I find the faintest sign of the grace of God, it puts a sparkle in my eye. I feel, my, I feel just my, a smile coming over my face, and I'm thinking, why am I smiling? I've got next to nothing to, to be happy about. And my spirit is lifted. You know, he, he also asked for God's glory in this. It's very interesting. David is not just like, hey, get me out of this thing so I can feel better about everything. David want, wants to get out of it because he doesn't want his enemies to gloat over the failure of God to deliver David. Moses said the same thing to, the, to, to God. God was out in the wilderness with the people, and quite honestly, he seemed to be grown a little tired of the people's complaining and their rejection of him. And, you know, God's kind of at the place, you know, like, well, what are we going to do, Mo? And Moses says this, Numbers 14, 15, and 16, he says, Now if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring his people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. Moses is saying the same thing David's going to say. If I fall to pieces, if your people fall to pieces, everybody around the land, all the unbelieving people, this is true in your life and my life, are going to say, see, that, that God, powerless. He can't get it done. One thing is clear about David, most, if not all of his psalms, he is keenly aware of the battle between the kingdom of God and God's enemies. And sometimes God's enemy is David's own flesh, David's own soul. You see, but David teaches us, Moses teaches us that, that a man of God, a woman of God, a man after God's own heart, as David was called, or a woman after God's own heart, doesn't want evil or injustice to triumph. So they cry out like David does in verse 3, Oh Lord, my God. 
this will also, when we, want, when we notice this, this also helps us pray in a way that the Lord will strengthen us for the challenges ahead. Again, this Sunday, we're going to be talking about preparation. God is preparing all of us for so many different things in our lives. What's logical about this prayer is David is reasoning with God why God should answer him. He says, listen, God, if I live, this will honor you. It won't look like you lost. Is that a good prayer? I would say yes. But just as important, if not more, David makes the case to God why he should answer his prayer, and it has to do with God's glory. Do, let me ask you a question. Do we do that? Do, do we really present well-thought-out reasons to God why he should answer our prayer? Sometimes I do this, and this psalm really made me think about it more. Of, of really sitting down and, and jotting a bunch of thoughts down on a piece of paper about a prayer that I want answered and, and then maybe formalizing it or rearranging stuff on my computer or something like that and then making the case to God, God, this is why I really believe you should answer this prayer. Or, or do we just kind of just blurt out stuff? Many would say no, I'm not going to do that, Pastor Jim. That would, be, that would be too demanding. If I'm making a case to God why he should answer my prayer, if I'm like pressing into him, God, you got to do this, man. That's too demanding. I wonder if some of the Bible writers would say, well, if you won't do it, then you're just too lazy. That you're just expecting, you know, that prayer's not going to be any kind of work or any kind of effort. Think about the church in America just for a minute. I know some of you watch from other countries, but we kind of got this thing in America going where it's not 100%, but, but it, it's pretty well known that one side of the church, of the, the Bible-believing church, is very, very emotional. Very, very emotional. And, and the other side is, let's just say, they're cerebral. And, you know, I think some of us gravitate toward maybe a little bit towards one or the other. Some of us are a little more emotionally driven. Others are some more factually driven. Yet the Bible writers, when you read them, they seem to be both. Somehow they mesh feelings and thinking. Somehow they mesh emotions and reasoning. To them, those two things go together very, very logically you know, a lot of people worry about dry prayers. And a lot of people worry about flaky prayers. David would say, listen, when you are emotional and logical, that's the combination for prevailing prayer. We've said many times, God really, Jesus seems to really respond to desperate prayer, but Desperate prayer that has a real focus. It's almost like David is teaching us God responds to prayer that is full of your heart 
and full of your persuasion. Like, that's what I want from you. And that might change our prayers. We come to number three now. Number three is the anchor of prayer. It's almost like you could have one and two, but if you don't have three, it's not going to work. He says this, verse five, but I have trusted in your mercy. You might want to underline that or circle that in your Bible. And that's that, that Hebrew word. We've come across it many times before. Hesed or hesed. I'll say it differently each time. And, and a lot of versions translate it steadfast love, unfailing love, faithful love, loving kindness. So let's just stop right there. He says, I have trusted in your hesed. Notice what turns David's heart. He, he is emotional, and then he's logical, but then he anchors it in this, but I have trusted in your mercy. That's why I'm here, God. That is why I'm here. I have trusted in your hesed, has said, I have trusted in your loving kindness. He's renewing his trust in the faithfulness of the Lord, and that keeps him from falling fully headlong into the pit of despair, so he then abandons God. He's got trouble, but he's not abandoning God. He's still pursuing him. So what is he? He goes through all of the stuff, and then two words, he says, but I. We're used to, but God in the Bible. But David says, but I. I am determined, God. I'm going to stay in this place. It's like, Jacob, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Now, for him to say this is a surprising statement from a depressed man or woman. Usually when we're depressed, usually when we're sad, we don't say things like, but I have trusted in your mercy. I have trusted in your steadfast love. I will continue. You're not going to get rid of me. Daddy, I am not going to let go of your leg. I'm just not. You wouldn't expect a, de a depressed person to say that, but that is another evidence of grace, another evidence that God is close. Yet notice when he says, but I, David takes an element of personal responsibility. But I, he turns to the object of his faith. And remember, faith is only as good as the object in which you place it in. And so David's in, in this bad spot, but he's not going to put his faith anywhere else but in God. And it's tempting to put it in other places, but he won't do it. David knows his faith is in the God of Hesed, a massively common Old Testament word that speaks of the consistent love of God. Once again, it's often translated mercy. Steadfast love, unfailing love, faithful love, loving kindness. It's a word that we should all understand. It's a word that we need to burn into our soul. It's a word that we need to keep coming back to. It's a word that you need to keep coming back to. It's a word that I need to keep coming back to over and over and over again. I think that Exodus 
34 gives us one of the most powerful examples of this word. In Exodus 32, Moses is up on the mountain, and he's getting the Ten Commandments from God. So while he's up there, the people of God who begged God to take them out of Egypt, the the people of God, the people who God rescued from Egypt, from the Egyptian army, while Moses is up on the mountain, they're making a golden calf to worship. God does all these mighty signs, all the plagues, all these mighty signs and wonders, and they're like, yeah, let's get some gold and let's make our own God. We don't know where this Moses dude is. So Moses is coming back with the Ten Commandments. In other words, they blew the Ten Commandments before they even really started. (laughs) They blew the Ten Commandments just as everything was getting started. And you would think God would go, Oy vey, I have had it with these guys. I'm done. I'm washing my hands. I mean, seriously, after all they saw, after all they experienced, they couldn't just wait for Moses to get back from the mountain. They couldn't. But let's not stand in judgment on them. Because some of us have seen God do incredible things in our lives. Incredible things in our lives. And we need to remember that. So the Lord decides to try again with these people. Why? Exodus 34, 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, God merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness, abounding in hesed, and truth. But once again, notice we often translate it steadfast and unfailing love. In other words, God's love, if you're one of his people, is not going to give up on you. It's just not going to happen. You just need to put your trust in him if you're not one of his people. A few months back, we did Psalm 23. We took a few nights on that. And the popular, very popular Psalm, Psalm 23, 6 says, Surely goodness and hesed. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I have a... I have a um, beef with one of the words in that translation. Surely goodness and mercy, God's unfailing love, shall, I like the word, pursue. Like, 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 an, like an enemy pursues, like an, like an animal pursues on the nature channel, you know, how, how an, one animal pursues, like the you know, those, those, the, the cheetahs or something like that going after the zebras or something like that. That's how God's loving kindness, that's how his hesed, that's how his mercy pursues his people. Verse 5 continues, because of God's 
pursuing love, David says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Another version says, in your deliverance. Verse six, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Another version says, I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. He has treated me good. David's rejoicing and singing reflect his confidence in the Lord's unfailing love. His confidence in the Lord's salvation. His confidence in the Lord's care for his people. You see, understanding the character of God and now David's experience of faith with God now gives David confidence in the midst of his problem. You see, the Lord is immovable. His love is immovable. His allegiance to his people is immovable. And his relationship to his children puts joy into David's soul. And loved ones, it will put joy into your soul too. That steadfast love. If you're a Bible reader, you're going to understand what I'm about to say. If you're not, you need to become one. God's steadfast love, his hesed, his hesed, explains wilderness grace. It explains why God was so gracious to those complaining ingrates in the wilderness. It explains his grace to his people in the complete debacle of the failed monarchy during the times of the kings. It explains his grace in the time of the exile when God's people were taken out of the land because of their idolatry and their disobedience, yet the grace of God went with them to Babylon. His steadfast love explains the sending of the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross in your place for your sins, in my place for my sins. Is David still in trouble? Probably. But it is the certainty of God's deliverance that puts joy in his heart. David's determined prayer and faith has overcome his feeling of being forgotten. And this way of praying can do the same for you too. Now it's late, but I want to just look at a few practical applications that we can make. First, and I'm not going to number them, feeling forgotten by God is a normal experience for a follower of Jesus. Now, people who don't believe in God, it's not a normal experience for them because they don't know what it's like to be in the presence of God. And when you feel forgotten by God, it's, it's easy to blame yourself, thinking, why would God want any part of me. And when you get into that place, you need to look at the cross. And that will tell you how much God wants a part of you. Self-condemnation, blaming yourself when you did nothing, is an absolute prison and a dead-end street. So is constantly. And, and sometimes we need to think about it a little bit just to, to glory in the grace of God and think, I'm not going down that street again, but to, to constantly relive forgiven sin 
as if it hasn't been forgiven in your mind and not letting go is not a good thing at all. What you need to do is like David, you need to get out of that place and go, but I, but I will trust in the Lord. Perhaps the best way out of it is to talk to God about it. God will not be like, oh my gosh, who does he think he is talking to me like that? When we did the book of Job and all that complaining, we said, listen, one of the ways you know you're still in a decent spot with God is you're still talking to him. The problem is when you go dark, when you stop. You see, God invites his children to the throne of grace. He tells us to come in boldly. And those of you with little kids, when they want something, do they, is there any proper protocol or anything like that? No way, man. They just come blowing in at you. This is what I want, Dad. This is what I want, Mom. Realize that keeping the faith in the midst of suffering is a sign that you have real faith. It's a sign to you and it's a sign to others. A good way to get out of a pity party is to, is to stop expecting everybody to do everything for you and to start serving others. And don't, don't, don't forget the power of worship with the people of God. The gathering of God's people. I'm not talking about walking in 20 minutes late. I'm talking about walking in on time, being focused on what you're singing, worshiping with God's people will do a lot for your soul. Don't always assume when bad things happen that it's your sin. Jesus, sometimes it is, but other times it's not. Jesus didn't sin again, and he died on the cross. And as we'll be talking about in the weeks to come in the life of Abraham, God often has unseen plans that are already at work in your life and you don't see them until much later on. Perhaps we need to change the way we pray too. Listen to what Hebrews 5, 7 says of Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when Jesus was here in a body, when he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement, that, that means loud, cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. So, so Jesus' prayer was what? It was emotional, loud cries, and it was logical. God, can you save me from death? But heaven was silent. And so Jesus went to the cross Hebrews 11:6 says this, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is or that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if you want your prayers answered, you have to believe God. You have to believe in him and you have to believe what he says. And where do you start? You start by confessing your sins to him if you're not a follower of Jesus turning to God, it's called repenting and saying, God, I need you, man. I can't do this without you anymore. Please forgive my sins. And you put your trust in Jesus who lived a perfect life in your place, who died on the cross, taking the punishment for your sins and rose from the dead. So you too will rise from the dead in glory with God.
I know right now, the season that we're in, it's very easy to feel forgotten by God. It's very easy to feel forgotten by people because some people right now are, 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 are kind of paralyzed and other people just have so much more to do. Stop waiting and reach out. And I think you'll find when you do, the Lord is with you. I know right now, not having anything to do with a virus, but I know a lot of the people in this church and a lot of people that I know, they feel abandoned by family. Or perhaps people are treating you like an enemy, even other Christians. When will it end, you're saying? How long, God? So you ask, people come to me, when will it end? I always say, I don't know. But I know when I go to bed at night. And I, and I know what to expect the next day. After the darkness, the light returns. And it will end, it will lift when the darkness lifts. And I think when the darkness lifts, you will find and you will realize and you will see that Jesus was standing there the whole time. That he was with you in the darkness. You just didn't sense it. You just didn't know it. And again, if you're not a follower of Jesus or you're new to this thing, you're like, well, Pastor Jim, have you ever experienced this in your life? Not in the last 12 hours, <laughs> but certainly in the last 24 and the last 72. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, when the darkness is there, and the light comes, you won't see Jesus because you'll be left without him, the one who died for your sins and the one who promises to raise you from the dead to take you out of the pit all the way to glory in heaven. Well, let's pray.